saying that earlier. And what are some of the other ways that we describe God? God is, say what? The good shepherd. Yeah, that's what this is about. God being like a shepherd. Any others? God is holy. God is love. Come on, people, not all at once. I can only hear you one at a time. God is like... God is like a father, yeah. Some people would say God is like a mother. Others, anybody else have ideas? God is forgiving. So we have all of these words that we use to describe God that help us relate. And David was a shepherd in his early life, and so he writes this psalm of promise because he relates to God as a shepherd. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, the thing is, when David wrote this psalm, he was a king. The king of an entire nation is calling himself a sheep. Could you imagine a current leader in the world calling him or herself a sheep? In fact, have you ever heard the insult that is often used toward people just calling them sheeple? Yeah, you will just follow the leader, like whatever, you're a sheeple. Has anybody ever heard that? It's meant as an insult, but David is saying, I am a sheeple. I am, I am simply a sheep. Even though I lead this great nation, I am a sheep. I wish that the leaders of our nation and the leaders of our world would think of themselves as sheep who are following God, the good shepherd. I think the world would be a much better place if that were the case, but unfortunately, that's not how it works. But the truth of it is, that's not how we work either. We are raised to kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and be strong. And I can, I got this. I can handle it. I, I've got a strong back. I can take whatever comes my way. That's how we're raised to think and to believe. And the truth of it is, we know we're lying and we're faking it when we act that way. We need help. So David, the king of Israel, says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sean came up with a game for us to play. Comparing the negative wilderness, which is probably being described in this psalm, to New Mexico. And so we're going to look at a couple of pictures. And I know, I know the Archies have been to Israel. And so you guys just keep your mouths shut, okay? Like we don't want to hear from you today. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to shout out the answers. So the way this game works is we're going to see two pictures. One of them will be New Mexico. One of them will be the negative wilderness. And you have to guess which is which. Okay? So here we go, Sean. Let's see what it is. So is that New Mexico or is that the negative wilderness? Is that New Mexico or is that the negative wilderness? Well, you can't say it's one or the other, Rick Kiley. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, let's see the next, the next one. What do you think? The negative wilderness, or is that New Mexico?
That's Taos. I think that's Taos, right? That's Abiquiu. I was right. So that's, that's the similarities. But did you see the green pastures? The first picture, there was a lot of grass, right? But there wasn't, there weren't green pastures. And so David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I don't know about you, but almost every time that I've read that Psalm, I think of like Ireland where you see a lot of sheep and sheep dogs running around chasing them. And I think of the YouTube video where the guy like whistles at his sheep, at his dogs, and they chase the sheep and have them spell out words and that sort of thing. Have you ever seen that one? It's pretty amazing. But that's what I think of when I think of green pastures. But there's a, a scholar teacher named Ray Vanderlaan who has a different way of teaching and thinking about green pastures. Let's watch this video and hear what he has to say. shepherd lesson, I did want to look at one thing in the wilderness that will maybe surprise you a bit. Believe it or not, this is called wilderness, midbar, but it's also called green pastures. Now, when you take a Westerner here the first time and you look at this, you find people say, well, I don't know that I can go there because the Psalm 23, the Lord leads me into green pastures has been pictured as belly deep alfalfa. Well, you haven't seen any belly deep alfalfa. And from biblical time to today, it's rare to see a flock in the farm country. There isn't a lot of farm country in this culture. And so farmers kept the shepherds out as much as they could. Maybe they would come in a little bit after the harvest to glean what was left, but you don't want sheep where you can farm. This is the land of the shepherd. Right on the hillside across from us, you can see those grazing trails cut there by sheep maybe as long ago as Abraham's time. They're spaced so that an animal on one path and an animal on another can reach right to the middle between them. That determines the distance so you can graze an entire hillside. And the shepherds lead their sheep across that hillside slowly, grazing what's there. Now you look at it from here and you say, what's there? In fact, I remember my first impression. I woke up one morning, I was sleeping out in the wilderness, and I remember waking up, watching a flock of sheep on a hillside like this, and my, re my feeling was, what are those rock-eating sheep? I mean, what do they eat? How can you call this green pastures? Well, the answer is, there's a small amount of moisture present here. They get a little bit of rain every year. Not much, but a little. Second, there is humidity in the air, especially in the evening breeze, like right now, you can feel it. Coming from the west off the Mediterranean, there's moisture in the air. That moisture, combination of the rain and the humidity, condenses or drips along the edge of these rocks here. And if you notice, right around the rocks, almost always next to the rocks, you get little tufts of green. Get one a moment. 
That's what we refer to as the green pastures. So the shepherd looks for a hillside. That's exactly what she was doing. Look at that flock across from us there, just stunning. Those two shepherd girls have found a hillside that either was exposed to the wind or had that small amount of rain. And they move that flock across the hillside and it's one mouthful here, walk a step or two, another mouthful, another mouthful, another mouthful. Now that changes the green pasture image a little bit besides the picture changing radically. Green pastures are not everything you need for the rest of your life. If you make that belly deep alfalfa, then what God is saying, if you follow me, I'm gonna plunk you down and you'll never have to move an inch the rest of your life. Just reach out and grab it. Tell me that your life with God has been like that. Worry, said one rabbi, is dealing with tomorrow's problems on today's pasture. In the desert, you learn, the shepherd will get you what you need for right now. 10 minutes from now, you trust the shepherd. Just enough. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. There was a time, I don't know, eight years ago, ten years ago, something like that, um, my dad and I were elk hunting. We were in the Sacramento Mountains, and it was raining up ahead of us, and it was sprinkling where we were, and we were driving down a road to where we had camped, and uh, we were driving along a creek, and out in front of us, we saw a six to eight foot wall of water coming down the creek. That is not still waters. When you think about the terrain that we live in and the places that we live and how similar they are to, to Israel, we understand that when there is a rainstorm in the mountains, it may not even be raining where you are, but it's raining in the mountains. You do not want to be in, an, in the bottom of, of an arroyo because a flash flood could come and literally wash your life away. And so a good shepherd knows where the still waters are, the safe places to go get a drink. Our God leads us to the places that we need to be, whether we know where we need to be or not. And I know that there are times in our lives where we struggle to trust that, but this is a psalm of trust. This is a psalm that you read and you pray when you're struggling with life, when, when you're having a hard time, you read this psalm and you look for the promise within it. And here comes the promise. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, how many of you have ever been in the dark valley? The place where you feel alone, you don't, you can't even, you don't even know if you can experience the presence of God anymore. I remember there being a time around this time last summer, right after I moved here, and my father-in-law was sick, and then soon after that he died, that it almost felt as if God wasn't real anymore. I was really struggling to sense the presence of God. And I had to rely on pure faith to trust the promise that in the darkest valley, even then, God is with me. Because here's the thing. Those are the times that it takes real faith. And as Paul wrote, it's our faith that saves us. 
not the times of certainty, the times that everything are going good and we feel like, yeah, God's all around me and I can, I know God is here and we have this kind of certain feeling. That's not a feeling of faith. A feeling of faith is where you're struggling and you're grasping and you're holding on as tight as you can to the thread of hope and belief that you still have. I've said it before, but I have zero doubt that this chair will hold me. When I stand on this chair, I know for sure that this chair is going to hold me. It takes no faith for me to believe this. That table at the back of the room, however, I'm not quite sure. I think it would probably hold me if I were to stand on it, but I don't know for sure. For me to stand on that table would take some faith. It would take some faith in whoever built it, the structure of it, whether it's too wobbly. I might even touch it and shake it a little bit. The dark valley is the times when we are terrified and we feel alone, but here is the promise. We fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff are a comfort to me. The good shepherd's rod and staff is used to get us gently and nudge us back on the path of righteousness that we need to be on. But the biggest part of what the shepherd does with the rod and the staff is protect us from evil. A shepherd at nighttime will walk amongst her sheep or his sheep and sing songs and say words to keep them calm and know that they're safe and will use the staff or the sling and the stones or whatever tools they have to protect the sheep from the evil that could be coming in from the outside. David knew this very, very well. When you feel like you are in the valley of death, the dark valley, the place where your faith is completely thin and you're struggling, read Psalm 23. And remember, you are not alone. And then this last stanza may be my favorite. David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. When Michelle and I lived in Denver, our next-door neighbors, Amir and Omniot, were from Saudi Arabia. And one Halloween... We went and knocked on Amir and Omniot's door. In fact, we didn't. Elise and Emery went and rung the doorbell at Amir and Omniot's house. And they opened the door and invited us in. We just wanted candy. But they were from Saudi Arabia. They understood that Middle Eastern hospitality is even better than Southern hospitality. And they invited us into their house. And the first thing you do is you reach down and you untie your shoes and you take your shoes off to show respect as you walk into their home. And so we walked into their home and Omniot said, sit down, sit down, and welcomed us to sit down. And then they went to their kitchen, opened up the refrigerator and got food out. We just wanted candy. <laughs> they were welcoming the stranger into their place and showing hospitality, real hospitality. And here's the thing. There's a culture that's been around since the time of David. It's the Bedouin culture. They, they're nomadic people. They still exist today in the Near East and in the Middle East. And if you come across them out into the wilderness, they will welcome you into their tent and they will protect you at the cost 
of their own lives. And David is saying that that is how God interacts with us. We are welcomed into the house of God, and God will protect us with God's own life. And we know that to be true when we read the life of Jesus. Jesus sacrificed his own life for us. And I have no doubt that if somebody had come to Amir and Omniot's door trying to get us, they would have sacrificed their lives to protect us. You know, most of us have been taught that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the it being destroyed, was about homosexuality. But the prophet Amos says that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because the people in Sodom and Gomorrah did not offer hospitality to the stranger. You remember that story, right? Some people come in, they're strangers, they come into the house, and the, peop the, the, homer own the owner of the home let the enemy take the people that were in the house. That's why they were destroyed, according to the prophet Amos. Imagine a culture that wouldn't offer hospitality to the stranger. I know, it's really hard to figure out. Imagine. If we are to follow our captain, if we have ears to hear the shepherd calling, if we have hearts full of the spirit that are sustaining us and giving us courage in those moments where we're struggling to have faith, if we have that kind of courage, we can offer hospitality to anybody and everybody. It does not matter. Because that is what we are told to do. That is what happens for us in the kingdom of God. You and I are welcomed in and we are protected as if we belong in that house because guess what? We do listen to the last words that David writes in this stanza. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord opens His house to us and will protect us and when we feel like we're in our darkest days, we can trust that God is with us. Even when it feels like we're all alone, you are not. I am not. My prayer for us, Morningstar, is that we would be people who know with just a thread of hope that we're not alone. That when we're struggling and we feel like we're being surrounded by our enemies. We know we have a God who is with us there, guiding us and leading us. My prayer is that we would be the kind of people that Jesus talked about. You know, he, he said at one time that he came to separate the sheep from the goats. I hope you're sheeple. I hope our ears can hear the shepherd calling us. And that we take courage from the Spirit, and follow. And then we don't have fear at night and in the dark places because we know that God is with us and God will nudge us onto the paths of righteousness. Not for our sake, but for God's sake.
Because as Michael told us earlier, it really is about God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.